0: Listening to New Layer, a design podcast with Tanner Christensen and Jasmine Friedel.
1: In this episode, I want to talk about the concept of self awareness. Self awareness. This is something you have thought a lot about, I think, and you've actually done great talks on this. Uh, I think you also have a blog post on this, maybe. Well, Talk Singular and a blog post from that talk.
0: What does this have to do with design? Tell me what's on your mind.
1: Yeah, so I think this is not explicitly just design. However, I think it, it may have some complications in the world of design. And we'll get to this in a second, what I mean. Um, but really, this is valuable for anyone, design or not. To have some sense of self-awareness, it's important, especially when you're working with others. So here's what I'm thinking about, and here's why, I'm, why I want to talk about this. Okay, When you're working with other people, it's really valuable to understand them. You need to know what are their objectives? What are their goals? How do they work? What kind of things get under their skin? The more things you know about your peers, the better you can work with them, right?
0: You're talking about their like knowing them in relation to work and you're like knowing them and like their hopes and their dreams and their fears. But you're talking about like really practical things that will help you align um, with how you work together or what you work towards.
1: Yeah, I think that's first and foremost. However, knowing their hopes and dreams that could also be if they valuable. like dogs or cats. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely that's,
0: dogs otherwise. Mm. Well,
1: that's valuable in that it helps it helps you understand that those you're working with are not just robots or cogs in the machine. They're also humans. They have lives, they have mm-hmm. perspectives. That's not to say that you need to always pursue that kind of relationship, but it can be advantageous. So, we all know this is important. It's it's really valuable to understand your peers, where they're coming from, how they approach things, how they work, what they value, those kind of things. The opposite side of that, though, is not really often talked about. And that is, in order for your peers to understand you, you also need to understand yourself. And that, Ooh, okay, okay, keep going. So, for example, a, a common thing I do, and um, a lot of other people I... I kind of work with do is we have regular one on one sessions. And in these one on ones, especially when we're like, if it's a new team, we tend to talk about exactly these kind of things that I'm saying. How do you like to work? What's bothering you? What's your priority this week? What's blocking you? How can we, and essentially how can we work better together? Inevitably, those questions come back on me, right? Mm. And if I don't have a strong sense of self awareness, If I don't know what drives me or what my objective is or what I'm blocked by or what is my process for working, I'm not going to be able to help my peer and I'm not going to actually be able to help myself, right? Right. So that's one, that's like the core part of what I want to talk about is.
0: Is how do you get there? How do you get to know yourself so that you can be a better teammate to
1: others? Exactly. It also, of course, has great advantages to like just building up your own career. It's helpful to know what you, what you're your strengths are, what your weaknesses are, where you want to grow and where you don't want to grow. Like Those are all really valuable things. Mm-hmm.
0: That's one thing that, uh, well, I, I think about both of these very often, but the uh, sort of like where you want to go. This is something that I've gotten better at the further I get along in my career is figuring out, I call them my must haves and my won't haves, like the things that I will put up with and the things that I won't put up with when I look for a job. I mean, it comes from going through a lot of experiences and then evaluating in them and being like oh that didn't work for me or oh I really like that and I think that's helped I don't I I'm like on the spot I'm like is that self-awareness or is that just like some other sort of knowledge of self by testing um
1: probably self-awareness there's certainly some aspect of self-awareness there right Mm -hmm. I'm curious on that point so let's let's look into that for a second do you feel like with these must haves and what's the other word? Must have not like or won't have, won't have, must have and won't have. will not have, yeah. Do you feel like you have looked further into those? And what I mean by that is if you identify that you must have, for example, a manager who is maybe communicating with you on a daily or something, have you ever stepped back and said, okay, well, what is it about that that makes that a must need for me?
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, like one, one of my must haves is I, I need to work at a company that has values that I align with. Um, and that's a, a that's um, a luxury for some folks that, you know, the further you get along in your career, the more options you have. And an example of a, of a won't have is I won't, I won't work for or with egocentric people. Um, And so, and you're asking like, have I like gone back and said why? And the why is like, I've been in tons of scenarios with both of them. And I know that I thrive better. I can be more impactful when I'm set up with those um, sort of environmental surroundings.
1: Yeah. So that's really the, the crux of, I think, my question. It's good to know through experience the things that you are driven by or motivated or energized by and the things that kind of deter you from working hard or that just block you but unless you really understand the nuances of those things, it can be difficult to understand yourself. So I think you just said it, like Mm -hmm. you need to be in a, in a team where you can really measure your impact. Right.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And I'm, and I'm I'm trying to put myself back in like my early career and say, would I have been looking at these same things? Um, and I think I would I probably was not looking at those same things. I think those are benefits, but not something that I had clarity on. What I was looking at, you know, say in my first job, when I came in as a UX designer, I was really looking for, you know, some place that could teach me UX and some place that could leverage my already strong visual design skills. So I think there's just like, you could, you could, um, break them down into, I'm trying to think here like how to how to how to put a framework around this. Um for me the the things that I had to look at first were the things that made me eligible to have more choice.
1: Okay, elaborate on that. What does that mean?
0: Um sort of looking at developing hard skills first, then developing stronger soft skills. Well, that's that's probably not true for anybody because you can be the greatest like designer in the world and be a dick and that doesn't mean that you you will get a job. Um But I was... So when I started out as a UX designer, I was, I think, 28. No, wait, 32. I don't know. I was not, like, right out of college. And I had already worked and been a manager for six years. So I had already developed outside of design a lot of the soft skills, a lot of the management skills, a lot of the leadership skills that helped me not necessarily manage a team, but manage myself and manage projects. So I didn't have to work on those. Um, But what I did need to do is become a great designer. And so um, if you're not a great designer yet, you probably can't be like, well, I will only work in X, Y, and Z environment. If you don't have the choice, like, um, developing your core design skills, your core product design skills. And we talk about them as like product thinking, interaction design, visual design. That's what opens up the other things to have choice.
1: Hmm. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. So how I'm interpreting what you just said is really when you're starting out, especially in design, you obviously need to have some of these hard skills. Now, how you evaluate your competency in any of those skills. I think that's part of the self-awareness kind of conversation we're having. So as you were kind of leveling up these initial skills, what mechanisms or frameworks did you use, if any, to determine whether or not you were growing and kind of, like you said a second ago, you have strong visual skills. Well, how did you come to learn that?
0: Um, uh, there's so much in here. I'm like, where do I start? So when you're, when you're junior, it is really hard to evaluate yourself because you don't have the scale yet to evaluate yourself by. Like I think about when I was in school and I had, there were these amazing designers around me and there were some pretty, like, there were designers who were really struggling too. And I fit somewhere, you know, towards the middle top. And I still like couldn't figure out how to get to the top, but I knew I wasn't at the bottom and I could help elevate people at the bottom. And you know, the thing that you do in school a lot lot is you get a lot of feedback. Um, and so, um, the school I went to in many design schools, they do like these really rigorous, sometimes even harsh critiques where you put your work in front of people and they rip it apart and they rip it apart so that you can know what's going wrong. And hopefully they're also telling you what's going right. And then you're sort of getting your barometer going that tells you what's good or what isn't. Um, I think the challenge that, newer, um, designers have, or students have, or people who are practicing on their own, like people who are practicing on their own might not have the ability to get feedback or to know if the feedback is, is good or not. Um, in school, you have the benefit of knowing like, Ooh, well that student's always getting recognized. So they're good. Um, in the world, you might, you know, just get it. If you're in a Slack group or a Facebook group, you might be getting feedback all over the place, but how do you know, like if this is good or feedback from somebody who knows what they're doing or feedback, Um, from somebody who isn't. So I think like sort of like um, calibrating your barometer, I guess I could say is something that you have to do. And it's really hard to do until you um, get a lot of feedback and see yourself sort of move and get better results, whether that's like a grade or, you know, getting a first job or getting somebody that you respect as a designer, you know, having them give good feedback on it. So feedback seems to be a really key piece of developing that self-awareness and understanding whether your your skills are 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 good or not so good.
1: Yeah, and how I'm hearing this is it's really beneficial to not only just have feedback, but be in an environment where you can get really constructive feedback and we i think we did a previous episode on feedback so uh, if if you're listening to this go back and listen to that one again if you need to
0: yeah we didn't talk as much about design feedback we talked a lot about like giving like feedback in a sort of like interpersonal way mm-hmm. so I, I think there's still some i mean there's maybe that's our net one of our next episodes um there's still a, an opportunity to like learn more about how to give feedback um and our friends at the design details podcast actually did a podcast on giving feedback so we can always send you that way too if you want to if you want to understand how to give and receive design feedback.
1: Yeah. So I love this notion that you're saying about adjusting your barometer and kind of building that kind of like a meta skill. I think there's something really critical here which is before you go into these feedback conversations or before you pursue an environment of where you can get feedback, you need to kind of know what matters to you and what doesn't. If you know for example that long-term, you want to become a really strong product designer. You need to know that visual design, interaction design, your product strategy and thinking that needs to be at a high bar, but what other skills do you need and what skills may you not need? So if you know that, for example, you're, you know, you have no interest in moving into people management. Well, there may be some skills there that you don't really necessarily need to pursue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think you, you said what matters to you and that gave me pause for a second. I think like most people who are starting out don't exactly have an idea where they're going. Some do and bless you. Good for you. I don't know how you do it. I still don't know where I'm going. Uh, I don't either. (laughs) Like I know where I am right now and I like it. Um, But there's also like those skills that you're listening, like those are not just like the things that you want to be good at. There's the things that the industry requires. And so like having a sense of what those are is really important. I always go back to our intercom rubric, our leveling rubric, um, which is at intercom.design if you need a guideline, like a good good, um, practice for a new coming in designer would be to like look at what does a junior or an associate designer require. Um, it's not just like people talk about it differently, but it's not just about your output or visual design or your interaction design. Some of it is like how you generate, how you evaluate, um, how you define problems. There's a lot of different things that you can sort of break down and say like these individual smaller sets of skills, like how am I falling in the pack? And going back to design school, like generation, like coming up with a lot of ideas, um, was something that I found a lot of people good at and some people not. So, you know, you'd have an assignment of like a hundred sketches. Um, look at the people who can do a hundred sketches and can do them well and see how they do it. Um, if you're struggling to get ten out, then you need to change your approach to be able to refine that.
1: Yeah. It's I, I love this. So one of the first things you can do, especially if you're starting out, is go look at these career ladders, go look at the even job postings and see what's listed there and If you know that, for example, you want to be a really great product designer, well, go find the product design or the companies who are doing product design that you can admire or that you're really excited about. Look at what they're posting in their job posts. Look at their career letters if they share them publicly. It's great that uh, Intercom does, and I think a lot of companies do. But ours is the best.
0: (laughs) I mean, I'm not kidding. Maybe, it might be.
1: <laughs> uh, you're a little biased there, but you know, I've read it and it looks good. So I think that's that is a great way to start just thinking about if you're not really sure what you what you want to grow in or how you yeah. should orient yourself, go see what other people are asking for those types of roles.
0: Yeah, and I can like you mentioned management being one that you might not want to like Developing until later, or that might not be your path. The ones I see a little bit more frequently are folks who still want to do photography or illustration or painting or fine art. Like when I review a portfolio and I see people who are still dabbling in those things, that's totally fine. Like if that's a side hustle or that's a project, or that's just something that gives you joy. But if you're splitting sort of your, um, your time that you would be studying product design into that it, those are not necessarily the things that are going to make you better at product design. And I, I feel kind of harsh saying that. Like I, one of our, um, uh, we, you and I had done this class like an intro to product design and, um, Whitney Robinson, who is one of our participants in that class, I remember interviewing her, um, a while back and it's how we, it's how I got to know her. And she had been doing these like really cool leather goods. Um, and so she was designing like purses and accessories and things like that. And, um, I thought it was really interesting because she had a different take on problem solving. She was really interested in reusable materials and, and reducing waste. And so she had actually developed some product thinking through that, which I thought was really great. The challenge that she had was being able to then translate those skills into a digital environment. And it's uh, Whitney's um, done very well and, and has gotten herself into the product world, but it's very hard for people to do that. And so it's not it's not like if you're doing a ceramics class and you're trying to figure out a form factor, like that isn't necessarily going to translate 101. And so are you better off, you know, studying problems in digital environments? Probably. Um, is the painting class that you're taking or the, you know, the painting that you're doing, like, is that the thing that you're going to put on a portfolio that's going to get you a job? Probably not. So like part of the self-awareness piece is, is knowing like what's going to push you forward and why. And it has to be agreeable to those who are hiring or who are evaluating you or who are giving you feedback. Um, and I, I think like, I think that actually pushes us into what self-awareness is. Um, If anybody's listened to the talk that I did uh, for DesignX up in Toronto um, or the blog post that's out there somewhere on Medium, um, I had done a lot of investigation into what self-awareness is and I found it really, really fascinating. And I found this um, TED talk by someone named um, Tasha Uruk who studied a lot of organizational psychology. And she had defined self-awareness as basically seeing yourself in the same way that other people see you. And I found that really interesting because when we talk about like self awareness in a sort of personal sense or in like a, a therapy sense um, it's usually about just knowing yourself and knowing how you feel and being in touch with that. And it doesn't really sort of bring in this idea of someone else. Um, And when we talk about like this really practical self awareness for business, you actually have to be on the same page as everybody else. Um, because everybody else is, I mean, she doesn't say this, but like, in my opinion, it's like, if people see you in a certain way, that's how you are. And so you have to align with them or you have to get them to align with you. Um, but if, if, if you're being perceived in a certain way, like if you think you're, uh, or if you're being perceived in a certain way and you see yourself differently, like if you think you're amazing at visual design, but your manager or the community or whatever think you aren't, guess what? <laughs> they're probably right because they they may have a better sense of the standards than you do.
1: Yeah. I don't even think it's necessarily about who's right, right? But there's not like really a sense of right here, but it's what's going to get the job done and what's going to help you and your teammates kind of move forward and upward. And so what I kind of think uh, in that world, and I think you're completely right. If you think you're an excellent communicator, you're a great collaborator, maybe you even have examples of that, but consistently peers feel like, you're not communicating with them, they have no idea what your priorities are, you're not involving them in the process, well, that's gonna cause problems, both for the work and for your career. And when I say like there's not a right here, I think that you have to also consider there's multi, there's, there's many different layers to this. One person may think that you're a great collaborator because you you collaborate with them in the way that they enjoy collaboration, whereas maybe someone else works in a completely different way. And if you don't know them, for example, if they're not self-aware enough to say, oh, I'm the collaborator type who needs to be in the same room all the time, or I'm someone who needs to mm-hmm. just be in sync through email once in a while. If you don't know that about them, you're going to have a, have a hard time collaborating with them.
0: Well, and I like I, I've seen collaboration be a really um, useful example because I, I get feedback on people a lot. They're like, oh, they're a great c- collaborator. Like they come in and they're optimistic and they're like a pleasure to work with. And like, I just really enjoy them. And then for that same person, I'll hear, oh, they're not a, a really great collaborator. Like I, I do like, you know, I like working with them, but we actually don't move things forward. And what those are is they're different definitions of collaboration. One is like, I like being with them, which actually isn't collaboration. That's like, you're a nice person. And the other is like, we can work together to get shit done. And that's like, you know, in, in product design, or if you're working in a, on a product team or with engineers, like that is actually what collaboration is about. It's like working together and highlighting each other's um, skills and proficiencies in order to move something, um, ahead. So when you're figuring out like, Hey, is your evaluation of me the same thing as my evaluation of me is it's impossible to do unless you have shared definitions. I love that
1: alignment. So two things we've kind of covered here. The first is a really great way to uh, develop a little bit of sense of self-awareness is to get feedback. So be in an environment, whether it's like a classroom or a team setting where you can get very explicit, hopefully actionable feedback. The other thing is make sure that wherever you're getting that feedback or however you're getting that feedback that you're aligned on what the terminology you're using, uh, kind of means like you have to be aligned on if you're talking about collaboration, if you're talking about your visual skills, if you're talking about your soft skills, how you communicate with others, make sure that both of you understand what that means.
0: Yeah. I, um, I just have had this in my head in a, a little bit and I'm sure most folks have heard about this, but, um, there's that Ira Glass quote, which everybody uses. And it's because it's so valuable. It's like something about, you know, when you're just starting out, you don't have the taste yet. And what you do is like before you even are able to get good at what you're doing, you have to develop your taste first. And, um, we did this, you and I had done this when we were at Facebook, we had done this, um, a, crit- a public critique exercise with a student at the time. And I ended up writing an article after that call it called something like, uh, how to make your not so great visual design better. And we were talking about people who are trying to improve on a skill. And it's like, first they have to know what the bar is first. They have to know what the criteria is. And then they have to sort of go out there in the world and look at examples of great design and not copy it, but sort of like practiced in- until you can, Um, first, you know, point at those things out there in the world and be like, that's good. That's not. And then bring the practice up so that you can, can become great. That's not, that's less about like, um, become, well, part of it, the practice, not the practice, the, um, the looking out there and developing taste. That's the part that starts to develop your
1: self-awareness. The practice part is the piece that helps you improve. Yeah, that's great. So another thing kind of on that note that I've been thinking about a lot about lately is, Different archetypes, archetypes, and I think there's something here. So, I want to hear about your experience with this in a second because I, I have an ex- example that you've mentioned before that I want to dive into. But for me, you know, I've been in my career for quite a while, I'm a little bit older than m- many people think. And you always say that it's, <laughs> you're not, you're fine. I'm sold, so we all feel old. I can feel time slipping by. Uh, uh, new podcast topic, but <laughs> something I've been thinking about is. You know, like we kind of teased a second ago, much of my career has felt not misguided or anything like that, but just kind of I've been slowly feeling through it and working my way towards like who I want to be in my career, and my as a result, a lot of my trajectory has been a little bit all over the place. Mm -hmm. However, I started thinking more about self awareness and these archetypes, and one thing that I have found really valuable over the last two years in particular is defining my archetype and. The way I've done that is by using a service called 16 Personalities. Have you heard of this?
0: No, but can you quickly define what
1: you mean by archetype? Yes. So this is essentially, there's many different kinds of this, um, depending on who you ask and kind of what realm you're looking in. But in this context, it's a set of actually 16 different personality types. There's um, like an artist type. There's an inventor type. There's like a logician Mm. type. And I'm actually a logician, I've learned. Um, Just different top level personas, essentially. And for each of them, they have a defined set of characteristics and how they think about the world, how they work, how they maintain relationships. It's a little bit, to be honest, it's a little bit like horoscopes in that it's not a science necessarily. I don't think it is. And it can be a little silly. It's kind of like categorizing yourself in a certain kind of bucket, right? Mm -hmm. However, kind of like horoscopes, I think that there is value in defining these things for yourself and that it can help you think. Are you calling horoscopes valuable? No. Okay. (laughs) Let's ignore that part unless you're into that sort of thing. Sure. You can, (laughs) what I'm saying is that any of these kind of things, including horoscopes, if anything, it can cause you to reflect. And if it's Mm. doing that for you, then it does provide some value. You don't have to agree with it. You don't have to believe in any of the magic. But when someone, for example, um, in this kind of 16 personalities tool, Uh, if they, if they say you're the kind of person who does X, Y, Z really well, you kind of have to pause and say, am I the kind of person who does that? What are examples of me doing that in my life? Where might I fail? How does it explain some of my behavior? It's a way of really kind of thinking a little bit more critically about you and your beliefs and how you work. So that has been really valuable for me. And uh, again, you can go online and do any of these personality tests. The other one is uh, Myers-Briggs, for example.
0: Yeah, we did, um... The leaders at Intercom have done. Yeah, this is exactly what I want to do. Yeah, yeah. We do a, it's a color one. It's not just the, there's one that's just kind of identifies you as like a color and it's pretty basic. This one is a, um, I don't know if it's called insights or something, but it's all about your preferences and you end up getting like a a configuration of, of four different colors. And so there's like 200 plus different versions that you could be. And I've done Myers-Briggs. I've done a bunch of different um, sort of psychometric evaluations. And this was the only one where I was like, holy crap, like it gets me. Um, and the, we've been able to use this in a very valuable way that, you know, I'm an observer. And so I take in a lot of information. I might not be the first one to like interject into a conversation. Actually, it's kind of hard for me sometimes to interject into a conversation, but when I speak, I'm, I'm able to pull together a lot of different themes, um, um, come together with high level observations. And when I do have something to say, the people around me tend to listen because they know that my ability, my strength is being able to like take in a lot of information and pull things together and rise sort of above the conversation. Um, so I find that really useful. Those are useful if you have a group of people who are doing them together and you're developing a shared vocabulary for your strengths and your areas of opportunity. It's a little bit hard to come in and be like, I'm an INFJ. Um, and people are like, cool, what does that mean? So um, if you're doing this at, in at work with either your design team to understand, you know, designers are great at evaluating how you do design. If you're working with a product team there, they may be better at evaluating like your problem definition and you know, how you collaborate and influence. Um, but you still have to have a shared, a shared, um, evaluation criteria and a shared understanding of
1: how you work. Exactly. Exactly. Right. So I think, and you kind of tease this a little bit where these kind of surveys or tests or whatever you want to call them can be valuable is in giving you words to describe some of your behaviors and Mm -hmm. again, cause you to kind of self reflect. Now, I agree with you. It's really valuable to have that shared understanding. So going through this exercises as a team, that's, that can be immensely rewarding. It can help you work together. Uh, can you maybe give an example or two, if you have any of how knowing your color, like you mentioned your observer, how knowing that has helped you collaborate with your peers and then how knowing their color has also helped you collaborate with them or work yeah, with them.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, I've always had a hard time getting a, a word in edgewise in conversations Um, and before, even like, you know, just a year ago before a little bit over a year, but before getting into this, I was like, I sometimes would feel slow. I would feel like I don't, you know, get things in the same pace that everybody else does. I would feel like I didn't have strength to my voice. And of course this is always hard being a, you know, a female in the room is like, cool. The dudes are always going to talk above me or interrupt me. Um, and so for me, it sort of almost gave me like, a piece in that and that I like my strength does not have to be the strength that everybody else has. And I think that's actually something interesting when you think about self-awareness. Like we all have different shapes to us. Our skill sets should be different and it's actually a great thing to be different because you can complement each other rather than competing with each other and then, you know, like if you and I were trying to be good at the same things, well then we're going to have the same deficits too. So I think it, it it's actually built my confidence significantly in knowing that my strengths are particularly in this new team, it's not new anymore, um, that they're unique and that they're needed, um, and that they're valued. So that's, that's the example of, um, how that has helped me understand myself and my value. Um, as far as like recognizing with other people, um, there's a couple things that come to mind. One is like, I actually need people to talk, um, sort of like, uh, directly. I need a bunch of people who are sort of more the, let's, you know, the drivers, let's make decisions because I need to get that information from them in order to do my observation and my synthesis. Um, and so, you know, that's also tells me that I can be asked more questions like why, or have you thought about this and like use them to actually heighten my knowledge, um, and that's been useful. Another thing that's, I found been really great as a team too, is we can, because we have trust on our team, we can joke with each other and be like, Oh, that's just your redness coming out. Or that must be the yellow in you. (laughs) Like, um, and we, we sort of acknowledge when either when, when things are going really, really well, or whether when things are sort of like, um, not going so well, it sort of gives an objective thing. That's not like. Tanner, you're talking too much. It's like, Tanner, you're being a little bit red right now. Like it's, I know that's who you are, but you know, let's, let's, let's tone that down a bit. And you can say, you know, Oh, okay. Like I'll be a little bit more green, which is inclusive or something like that. So it's, it's, again, it's, it's sort of about like, um, I, th- I think it's the self-awareness piece because what we've done is we've created, like if you're red and you're a driver and you just want to make decisions and we know, you know that, and I know that, and so it's no longer a debate on what are our strengths or our weaknesses. It's a shared understanding. And then we can use that to our advantage.
1: Fantastic. Those are great examples. Thank you for sharing. So I want to um, touch on a few other ways that you can kind of develop a little bit of your self-awareness. We've talked about, um, you know, getting feedback, having a reflection on yourself. We've talked about building an environment for that. Um, there's also like what we just talked about building these kind of like archetypes using various services, colors or whatever. I think there's a lot of other ways you can develop this self-awareness.
0: One thing I wanted to add is like, you can't sort of make yourself be an archetype. It's, it's usually who you you are are, yeah. and then you use that to sort of, um, understand or develop your skills. So it's not about like, I just don't want anybody to misunderstand and be like, Oh, I'm going to make myself be the decision maker. It's like, you you are, but then you have to, then that's what self-awareness is. It's like knowing yourself. Sometimes you have to modify behaviors once you know yourself, but knowing yourself is really about sort of, you know, how you are and how,
1: how you think and how you respond and blah, blah, blah. I agree with that. However, however, I would love to hear your thoughts on this. Is that still entirely accurate for students or for people who are very young or very it's not to say you won't
0: evolve over time mm-hmm. i think i think um when we do our uh insights color exercises it's it's really there's a subconscious and there's a conscious version so one is sort of like just you know who you are naturally and then some of us will play things up or play things down at work i think those are the pieces that we start to refine over time but like myers briggs changed almost like 100% for me i was an extrovert Um, I was a judger. Now I'm like, I think it's thinker or perceiver. I can't remember which, which counter each other, but yeah, of course we, we sort of develop over time with our experiences and, and, and that's some of that I'm sure is conscious and some's not.
1: Okay. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying. I, I agree with you completely where when you do these kind of tests, again, they can be really helpful in evaluating yourself and understanding yourself It's not to say you should do these tests in pursuit of who you want to be, but rather acknowledging and reflecting who you are in this moment, even though that may evolve over time. Right. Yeah. Okay, great. So what other ways can you kind of develop this sense of self-awareness or um, just kind of introspection? I think there's a lot of things here. One that I talk a lot about uh, for those who know me is journaling. I think Mm. that just the act of a daily journal sitting down to write just your general thoughts or reflections for the day can be immensely rewarding.
0: Yeah. And I mean, that's an idea of like collecting data. And so then you can go back and reflect and evaluate, um, which makes me think of like, it goes back to feedback, but performance reviews are a great place when, when, you know, you're getting an evaluation from your manager and you're writing yourself evaluation. Like I always used to find myself when I was more junior, um, writing what I thought people would say about me. And so when it was like, what are your areas of opportunity or weaknesses or whatever people call it? I'd be like, what's my manager going to write? They're probably going to write that, you know, X, Y, or Z. So I'd just write that rather than actually trying to, f- to look at my own examples and look at my own behaviors and critically evaluate what was going well and what wasn't. Um, and that was because I thought, I also thought the purpose of the review is more about like getting a promotion or, you know, getting a salary bump or moving ahead rather than being like really accurate about what my areas of opportunity were. So, um, another example of collecting data and, you know, feedback doesn't have to be in a performance review. It can be throughout the, um, you know, you could say like halfway through a cycle, I need to get feedback and ask your manager to give yourself 360 feedback. Um, which is basically just feedback from all the folks around you. Or you can say, you know, if there was a tough situation and you didn't know how it went, like then just go to folks and be like, hey, I'm not sure how this went. Or, you know, you know, write it down for yourself and say, here's what I think went well and here's here I didn't, but here's where it, it didn't go well. But then say to the people who were in the scenario, hey, can you just like jot down a few notes for me of what went well and what didn't? And then you do this comparison and say, oh, are we on the same page or not?
1: I like how you def- or you kind of explained the in the, in the performance review stage how it's very easy to get into the mindset that this is just a way to get promoted or get to the next level or get like a great rating.
0: It is, but you're not going to convince anybody just by your self-evaluation. And that's the thing. Like it actually can make you seem less self-aware if you're over sort of over indexing on things or, you know, suggesting that you, your area of opportunity isn't what it actually is. And like trying to forecast what other people are going to write usually isn't very successful anyways. Same thing is true of interviewing too. Like folks come in and the, you know, this is a, I hate this question, but like, what are you really great at and what do you need to improve on? People ask that all the time. Um, when you put something out there that isn't in line with the work that people are seeing, like folks are gonna notice, like you don't get away with that stuff. So like really like, um, zeroing in towards accuracy, That really shows that you have self-awareness and self-awareness is is sort of fundamental for everything else. If I'm hiring somebody and they know that they have an area of opportunity and interaction design, um, that's great because then I can help them. I can help them get there. But if they think they're a lot better than they are, then I actually have to work on the self-awareness first and help them understand that they're not where they are. And then we have to go and work through the actual skill. So um, that sort of like over projection actually becomes a barrier. So I would much rather have people who come in and have that accuracy and that self awareness rather than like sort of like inflating.
1: This is where I think looking at exercises such as the performance review or even journaling, being just serious about what those can do for you and your self awareness is really important. So, or even just, you know, 360 feedback or anything like that. It's okay. In fact, it's, I would encourage it strongly if when you're getting that feedback or when you're journaling, don't just like take it as the exercise, but really dive into what those things mean. If someone's giving you feedback or has given you feedback and you don't understand something they're saying, or even if you think you understand what they're saying, probe on that. Say, I heard you say that I'm really great at collaborating and you gave this example. Can you explain a little bit more from your perspective what that means and how that's aligned? Yeah.
0: And there's one more thing. I know we're wrapping up on time, but... um. There's there's another piece that I learned from um, Tasha Yurik when I was doing this uh, research for, for my talk, and that's this idea of objectivity. And what I started to call it was what over why. And what you're, you're saying now is like, what happened? Like, you know, what does that mean? Um, and the thing that you're doing here is you're saying, you're making it ob- objective by saying what. Um, things that are really real as opposed to why, which are these fabrications that we make up in our mind. Um, so an example would be, um, you know, if, if someone says, you know, uh, collaboration isn't really good or wasn't really good, you can go, what, what, what do you mean? Like what happened? And they'll say, oh, well, you know, we were, we were working on this together, but you took over the load of the work and I didn't really have a chance to, you know, show what I have to offer. And that's like super objective. But if you say like, why did this go wrong? Somebody might be like well you were a total jerk and took over and that's their sort of perception of it rather than sort of more straight data on what happened and so when you're doing your reflection and when you're doing your evaluation um it's really helpful to go for those whats rather than those whys and same thing when you're asking people for feedback it's like as objective as possible um it, being a, as objective as possible is really helpful as opposed to like sort of just getting into why? Well, you know, oh, I don't know if she's actually had the opportunity to do it before. Okay, well, that doesn't matter. Like, what's the bar? Um, so whatever why is, is really useful.
1: I think this is a great place for coaches to come into play. If you're looking to really grow your self-awareness and expand your career, you you, know, you can might have mentors. And I think what mentors excel at is providing advice or wisdom. And what a coach does, which is different than mentorship, is a coach is there to kind of ask open questions and help you understand the lay, the lay of the land a little bit better uh, on your own, right? Mm-hmm. That's kind of one of the critical differences. And so how a mentor might help guide you into your self-awareness is they can help give you advice, they can share their own experience on how to do something, how to go about understanding yourself. Whereas a coach might be there to, to ask some of those, what questions, what are you doing differently? What are you, what could you be doing differently? What is yeah, working?
0: Yeah. Well, and when you think of how you find coaches versus how you find mentors, mentors are people you like happen to work with, or you've found out on the internet and you're like, please be my mentor. A coach is somebody who is trained and is, who is certified and they actually have these tools to get to these objective things. Um, and you end up paying them for it because it's a, It tends to be a more, um, practiced and sometimes practical, um, relationship.
1: Yep. So we're just about out of time for this episode. We've covered a lot. There's so much more we could talk about. Mm -hmm. Um, maybe we'll do another episode at some point. uh, Yeah, we'll see. We (laughs) shall see. Uh, but there's a lot there. Tldr, you know, self-awareness is really critical to working with other people. It's really critical to getting your, your career ambitions, um, accomplished, it's critical to understanding yourself and being able to just kind of be happy and grow however you want to. Yep. Getting feedback is important for that. Reflecting, taking the time to reflect, having people help you, such as a coach. Um, These are all really important things that uh, I would encourage you to do. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Okay. All right. I think that's it. All right.